I wanted to look today at what I think is a pivotal moment, not in history, but in our faith. Uh, and what I mean by that, what is, what is called um, by God for us to be? And I want to look at this idea of being all in for him. There are a few lessons uh, that humor columnist, columnist uh, David Barry says took him about 50 years to learn. The first lesson is he said, never under any circumstances take a sleeping pill and a laxative on the same night. <laughs> I don't know why that takes you 50 years to learn that, but number two, if you had, any, uh, if you had to identify in one word the reason why the human race has not achieved and never will achieve its full potential, the word would be meetings. Number three, there's a very fine line between hobby and mental illness. Number four, never lick a steak knife. Don't, again, I don't know why you'd have to take so long to figure that out. And number five, a person who is nice to you, but rude rude to the waiter is not a nice person. We have to grow up, don't we? We have to learn. We have to grow. And that's a humorous way of explaining that life is about growth. It's about learning. And and really, it's about application. We can learn a lot, but if we don't ever apply what we learn, then what use is that? You see, God is calling us in our faith to leave the elementary teachings. And I'm not talking about the elementary teachings just being you know, that, that Jesus is the Son of God, and if you come to Him, you get saved and you get grace. Those are basic teachings of the faith. But to leave the elementary teachings means to leave all of what it means to be a young baby believer behind. That means selfishness, pride. That means impatience. You see, we've got to leave those things behind. As we grow, we should never be the same way in a year that we were the year before as believers. There should never be a time where we look like we did when we first came to Jesus. Unfortunately, the world has been preached to a very watered down Christianity over the years. People, pastors, preachers, teachers, afraid to speak the truth in love because they want everybody to like them. They want everybody to follow them. They want everybody to, to you know, look at them as something great. But the reality is, is I have to stand before the Lord Jesus one day and give an account to the things that I've taught and, and I've preached So I made a deal with God a long time ago. There is no sugarcoating from the Word of God. When you teach the Word of God, you have to teach it, even if it's hard to teach and hard to listen to. It has to be taught. You see, if our culture can just get ahead of or get a get a hold of that, maybe then we would realize that we can't be in the elementary teachings anymore. It's not enough just to say, I've been saved by Jesus, now I can do whatever I want. That's not how the faith works. You have to live for Him. You have to. It's not an option as a Christian. 
There's no half-hearted stuff in this faith. It's all or nothing. You're either in or you're out. We have to grow up. And we have to decide to be all in. So my prayer for you this morning and moving forward as you search for a new minister and whatever God has in store is that you will be encouraged to step your faith up. There is a whole community that needs Jesus. You can't ignore them. In fact, a church group came in just a few years ago and they did a study of the counties in North Carolina and Stokes County is one of the most unchurched counties in the entire state. And Rosebud Christian Church can be a part of solving that problem. You have to step up in your faith and choose to live all in for Jesus. Would you pray with me? Father, I ask that these words be yours. Father, that these words would not fall on deaf ears or hardened hearts. God, I pray that you will be glorified in this place. Not any person, but you. Have your way with us, Jesus. By your Spirit, lead us. It's your name we pray. Amen. If you have your Bibles, please turn with me to Colossians. Be in the book of Colossians this morning, chapter 3, verses 12 through 17. I actually used this verse this morning in Sunday school as I, as I taught, as uh, just helping us understand that these are things that, that we need to have in our life. What we're about to read is, this is how we're supposed to look. We have passages in Galatians of the fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control, love, all those things that, that we're supposed to produce out of our lives. But we have characteristics that need to be present in our life all the time. This is why Paul starts off by saying this, put on then. To put on. It isn't to say, to say, if you want to, this is a directive to the church from Paul saying, put on then as God's chosen ones. Why do we put him on? Because we're his chosen people. We've been saved. We're his children. So we put on the things Paul's about to say. He calls us holy and beloved. He says, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Bearing with one another. Bearing with one another means that you're going to go through the trials and tribulations together. That you're going to bear the burdens, as Paul says in Galatians, of the other believers together. Bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, 
Forgive each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Bearing the burdens of each other, forgiving those who may have wronged you or that you may disagree with. I love what Paul says when he says, Forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must forgive. You can't live life holding things and grudges towards people. You have to forgive. And above all these things, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, we need to underline this in our Bibles, and whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus giving thanks to God the Father through Him. All that we do is in the name and in the likeness of the Lord Jesus Christ. At least, it should be. But in order to have that kind of lifestyle, we need to be all in in our faith. We need to be completely sold out to the fact that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and He has given His life and He rose again so that when we believe, we would have eternal life in Him. He paid your debt, He paid mine. In this passage, Paul addresses the church in Colossae as he encourages them to live a holy life. Now this idea of a holy life is not something that is a, a, a ten-cent word in the Christian faith. This is, a, this is a word that means so much. Holy means to be set apart for Him. For His glory, for His workings. So our life should not look like our own, it should look like His. That's what a sold-out life in Jesus looks like. The emphasis in this passage is the motivations to live an all-in life. We are motivated by things, at least we should be in our Christian faith. And we're going to look at a few of those this morning. Why should we put on the new life that Jesus offers? I mean, isn't it enough just to be saved? If you think that way, I'm telling you now you are wrong. It is not enough just to be saved. We have to leave the elementary teachings of the faith and get into the meat of what we're supposed to be. Constantly growing, allowing God to mold us and shape us into what He desires for us to be. Because this life is about Him. It isn't about you and I. It's about Him. We have to understand that no child of God should remain in the basics of the faith. We cannot stay there. So we have to understand that God calls us to an all-in life. I want you to understand that first and foremost. God calls us to an all-in life. 
was telling my Sunday school class, and this may be a little harsh to hear sometimes, but you either serve God or you serve Satan. Now you could say, well, so they'd be a Satanist. Well, not indirect, not, not directly. But if you don't serve God, who are you serving? You're serving Satan. So in reality, we have a lot of people in this world who don't serve God who are serving Satan. Satan's using them for his plan. Are you one of those? I'm convinced that in churches across America, across the world, every Sunday there's people that are filling the pews and the chairs of churches that are not saved. Just because you're in church doesn't make you a Christian. Your life is evidence of that. The fruits of the Spirit. What you clothe yourselves in is evidence of Jesus. Meekness, kindness, patience, forgiveness. It's not your bank account. It's not how much you give. It's not even how much you serve. It's about who you worship. And when you worship the King of kings and the Lord of lords, his life needs to shine through yours. And that means you lay aside the things that bug you. You lay aside the things that make you angry. You lay aside those things for the sake of the gospel. For the sake of the gospel. Because this isn't my church. This isn't your church. This is his church. And the community needs to see Jesus, not Rosebud. The community needs to see Jesus, not Dan. They need to see Jesus Christ and his saving grace. It has very little to do with a building or an organization or a person. It has everything to do with Jesus. God has a way of motivating us all in this life. To be in an all-in life. So I want to take a look at some of the motivations we have as believers who are called to live an all-in life. The first one is the grace of Jesus. The grace of Jesus is a motivation. At least it should be. Did you know that if you are a saved believer this morning, you had nothing to do with that? You were not saved because you said, yeah, he's real. That's leading up to that. It's putting your faith in Jesus and he has done the rest. You are saved by his grace. You're not saved by water. You're saved by grace. So that no man can boast, as Paul writes to the church in Ephesus. So that you can't say, look what I did to receive this. This is awesome, isn't it? I'm such a good person. You are saved by God's grace in unmerited, un unearned gift that's given to anybody who believes. You don't have to be perfect to come to him. You come to him broken, shattered. Because it's in those moments where he grabs you and he says, I've got you, child. Let my grace cover you. My grace is sufficient for you. 
Remember El Shaddai, all-sufficient one? My grace is sufficient for you. I used to have this argument with my mother when, when I was in high school. I was telling her about the gospel and sharing with her about the good news. And, and she would say, well, Dan, I cuss too much. I smoke too much. I do this too much. I got I to gotta work on that before I, before I give my life to Jesus. And I had to look at her and say, that is a lie straight from the pit of hell. I think that's what keeps us from making that decision sometimes of saying, well, I'm just not right yet. Why would God want me now? He wants you just the way you are. So you go to him and you surrender your life to him. And guess what? You're not going to be fixed overnight. It's kind of a concept we have a hard time wrapping. They're believers now, so they shouldn't be. No, no, no. This is a process. You're not fixed overnight. You're fixed by sanctification of the Holy Spirit every single day. God works on you. And one day, one day, all of us will be made perfect again. One day. But we work toward that day. Not to earn grace, but because of it. The grace of Jesus should motivate you to be different. His grace is manifested in a few ways. It's evident in his election of his children. Those who are his. He chose us from the beginning. Did you know that? We are his workmanship. In fact, Ephesians 1, 4-6 tells us, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. What an amazing motivation the grace of Jesus is to know that you are his. And I think like as a parent, even though I have two kids, my kids don't always act like I want them to act like. It'd be great. I mean, look back at your parenting years if, if, you, if they're out of the house or currently if you have. It'd be great if they were exactly the way you asked them to be. I mean, uh, my son just got accepted to Hawaii Pacific University. And, and that's a, it's a pretty hard school to get into anyway. And, and I'm thinking to myself, I don't know if I'm ready for that. I'd rather him go to somewhere else because, you know, that's me. Our kids aren't always going to be and do exactly what we want them to do and be, are they? I think that's how God sees us too. He gives us this, this, this book to, to, to read and to soak in and to live, yet we don't always live this way. But His grace is sufficient for us when we come in repentance and say, Father, I'm sorry. Grace is a motivator. His grace is seen through his desire to set us apart. To use us differently than he would the world. We are a chosen people. First Peter says we are a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Set apart for God. 
to be used in his ways and in his glory so that people would know his grace. What an amazing God we serve. We see his grace through his love for us. I mentioned to my Sunday school class this morning, we're not always going to have a good life. There's disease, there's sickness, there's death. But a life lived in Jesus Christ is better than any life you could ever live. Even with all the pain that we suffer. His grace is evident in that. When a child of God sins, he's breaking the loving heart of a father. Love is the great motivator of life. His grace is seen through his forgiveness. The fact that you and I can come before the King of Kings every single day and come and bow before him and say, Lord, I've really messed up. This is what I've done. Would you please forgive me? I beg you. And to know that as a believer in Jesus, that he is quick to forgive you. His grace is evident in forgiveness. So as we live life together, as Paul was just saying in Colossians as we read our passage, that we need to forgive one another if, if that forgiveness is, is needed. That we don't live with grudges. We don't live with anything like that. That we forgive one another. And that's hard to do, isn't it? But forgiveness is evidence of His grace. Many of you know, many of you know that throughout the last few months, it's been pretty difficult for my family. But I want to say publicly, I forgive you. Because I want to be evidence of his grace. I forgive. I'm moving forward. You see, we have to move forward, don't we? We have to forgive. I hold no grudges. I hold, I hold nothing but forgiveness and love. Because that is evidence of the grace of Jesus. Because I've been forgiven. Not only by him, but by many people. You see, this is, this is what an all-in life looks like. That we forgive. To be chosen by God, to be set apart, to be loved, to be forgiven, it's all grace. We are motivated by the peace of Jesus. By the peace of Jesus. But we talked a few weeks ago about peace not being like, hey, I'm not arguing with my neighbor today. I don't want to slap, I don't want to slap my neighbor anymore, so I'm not going to... That's not the peace we're talking about. The peace of Jesus is what he brings between God and man. Genesis 3.15 says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, meaning Satan, the serpent, and the woman, and there will be war, okay? There will be war, this enmity between man and God. And we are part of that war when we don't know Jesus, but when we come to know Jesus Christ, he brings peace between us and the Father. We now have a way. And only Jesus can bring that peace. And that peace surpasses all understanding. That why would a God like that want to love me still? 
Why would he send his one and only son to die for me? To bring peace. And that peace should be a great motivator to be all in for Jesus. Peace of Jesus is an indicator that you are in his will. When you have peace in Christ, to know that you are in the hands of the great physician, that you are in the hands of the King of kings and Lord of lords, man, that should motivate you. To know that nothing, Paul says, what can man do? What can man do? We're in the hands of the King. We have a peace in Jesus. His peace motivates us to walk in His plans, to do His will, to do His bidding. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's about what God has called us as the church to do. And that's to make disciples of all nations. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to obey everything that Jesus has commanded. Yet we let a lot of little things get in the way of that, don't we? The peace of Jesus is present. And we will find ourselves more willing to be obedient when we live in that peace. When a child of God loses the peace of God, he will begin to wander. You'll know when you're not in the peace of God, when you're trying to do your own thing because you're not living for him. Sincere praise of God is found in the peace of God. Another motivator is the word of Jesus. This is the word of God, this Bible, your Bible. And if you do not read it, if you do not let it permeate your heart and your mind, I'm telling you, you will struggle mightily in this world. If you or in a church and they're not preaching the Word of God, if they're not teaching the Word of God, if they're not telling you what the Word says, you need to run. Man's opinion does not matter. The Word of Jesus, the Word of God, God's Word is to be a motivator in our lives. When it says to go and forgive, we go and we forgive. When it says to go make disciples, we do that. Because it's an all-in life. We are to grow in it and use it to admonish one another, to rebuke lies, to encourage and build up, to direct. And if you're of the mindset, Dan, that's an old book. It really has no relevance to us today. I'm I'm calling you to repent today of that because that is a sin to look at the Bible that way. This is God's holy word. It is his to be read and to be followed. So if you don't think this is relevant for us today, you need to repent because it is. And if you're not living this word, you're not living the way God has asked you to live. I don't care how good of a person you think you are. The word of Christ, the word of God, with it comes our instruction the way we praise and worship the Almighty. And if you don't read it, you don't know. 
We see we put our faith and hope in all these people who are telling us, ah, uh, he's a preacher. He'll, he's going to tell us straight all the time. And, you know, and I'll, do, I'll do my best, and I do. I do my best. But sometimes I might be wrong. And if you're, just re, if you're just listening to somebody and you're saying, I don't need to read the Bible because I've got that preacher over there, or I've got my radio preacher, or I've got my podcast, man, you're going to be lost. Because we're humans. We don't always get it right. You need to find yourself in here. This is why you've heard me time and time again for the last year and a half. You need to read the Bible. As I'm preaching, you should be writing verses down and saying, I'm going to go check that fella out today. I'm going to get in the Word of God and I'm going to, I'm going to see if he's right. Don't just take my word for it. See, that's what it means to be a student of the Word. Another and last motivator is the name of Jesus. The name of Jesus should be a great motivator for us. This should be one of our biggest motivators, I say, besides grace. It should be one of our biggest in living an all-in life. Reasons to do it. It's the name of Jesus. We are told to do everything in the name of Jesus at the end of our passage. And all that you do, do it in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. A great motivator is just the simple name of Jesus because he has given us everything. There is tremendous power in the name of Jesus. I love what Acts 4.12 says, and there is salvation in no one else. And I mean, you could, you could fill in the blanks there, Buddha, Joseph Smith, uh, Muhammad, whatever. There is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by what, which we must be saved. The writer of Acts, Luke, is talking about Jesus Christ. He is the only way. And if you're a believer in this room this morning, you know that, you've accepted that, are you telling people that? Because you can know and accept all you want. You can come and warm up you every Sunday. But if you're not engaged in sharing the good news of Jesus Christ with others, you're not living in obedience. We have to get in there and show them who Jesus is. The name of Jesus and the power that li lies within that name gives strength for us to live an all-in life. I mean, there's a certain part of my life when I'm, when I'm living day to day and I'm thinking to myself, man, I'm really glad I don't have to be perfect. <laughs> you ever been there? Like, you mess up and you're like, oh, Jesus, I am so glad it is you that I worship. Excuse me, on the way to my sister's yesterday for Christmas, I was driving along and I got outside of Stokesdale and I got stuck behind somebody going super, super slow. And I'm telling you, I do not have patience when I drive. And I, as I'm behind them, I'm, I'm saying to myself, it's Christmas, it's Christmas, it's Christmas. And I thought I was saying that to myself, but I was actually saying that out loud. And my wife looks at me and says, what are you doing? I said, it's Christmas. This lady's going really slow and I want to just, just scream. And it's in those moments where I think to myself, man, I'm glad I serve a holy and perfect God. That God's not looking at me saying, well, Dan, that's another check mark on your, your uh, driving um, rage. So uh, looks like you're not getting in today because I wouldn't have got in a long time ago. 
You see, the Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is the same God that hung on the cross. That paid that debt. And I can sit here today saying, I'm glad. I'm glad of the name of Jesus. That I don't have to earn it because it's been freely given. What a great motivator to live an all in life, is it not? God calls us to an all in life. And if you're not living that way, today you need to make a decision to do so. I truly believe that for this church to succeed the way God is calling the church to succeed, it will require all of us to decide to live that way. It can't just be a handful of people. All of us have to be all in. That means we need to lay aside our desires, our personal pet peeves, the things that don't matter. And we need to unite in the name of Jesus Christ to change the community for him. You have the one cure for sin. There's only one. And there are people dying every day not knowing Jesus. And we have the cure. Are you willing to share that? Are you willing to live an all-in life for him so that people can see the goodness and grace of Jesus Christ? Now, you can't force them to accept. That'd be great if you could, wouldn't it? All right, accept Jesus. It's not the way it works. It's not up to you to convert them. It's up to you to take the message of hope to them and to water the seeds that have been planted. And God, watch what he does. God and his timing will cause the growth. You only need to be faithful. So my question for you is, are you willing to be all in? Let's pray. Father, I thank you and I praise you for this time that I've had. I ask God that you would use these words. Father, that you would motivate us all to be who you've called us to be. And thank you. I thank you for your grace. Without it, we are lost. So Lord, we ask that you would go before us. Prepare our path. Help us, Jesus, to reflect you in all that we do. And in the process, may you receive all the honor and the glory that you deserve. We thank you, we love you. We ask God that you would Smile upon us, Lord, as we attempt to serve. Be with our hands and our feet as we go in your name. It's your name we pray. Amen.